Hey beauties, have you joined our subscription Dear Body yet? The Dear Body subscription is a journey of self-love and well-being. With weekly journal prompts and monthly assignments, it's a time to pause and take some time for you to reflect and get in tune with your body, mind, and spirit. Plus, as a subscriber, you get 50% off any online or in-person workshops, exclusive content, a subscriber badge, and access to our exclusive social channel. We believe in a holistic approach to self-love while we reclaim our bodies, rediscover our self-worth, and redefine beauty. So join us and subscribe to Dear Body today. You can access it through our Instagram page. I hope to see you there. Hi, beauties. This is the Beyond Beauty Project with your host, Bridget Burrick-Brown, the show that's redefining the meaning of beauty. Enjoy. And we're so grateful to have you part of the conversation. Hi, beauties. Season three, episode three is with Nikki Hader. I found Nikki scrolling one day on social media, and she has become one of my favorite people to follow. I loved interviewing her, and she has this calming presence and just is an overall lovely person with a wealth of knowledge. Nikki is a qualified counseling practitioner, clinical nutritionist, yoga instructor, and mentor and supervisor for fellow therapists and coaches, as well as the founder of State of Soul. Nikki works specifically with women to guide them to heal from acute or complex trauma, low self-worth, anxiety, addictive tendencies, attachment issues, and disordered eating. In this episode, Nikki describes her personal journey that led her to help others through her multidimensional approach, using compassion-focused therapy, helping others to connect the dots between their mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual self. We talk about the three different types of perfectionism, how perfectionism can be connected to eating disorders and addictions, and simple steps we can take to start healing from perfectionism. We chat about the importance of curating your experience of life consciously on social media, the harms of self-comparison on social media, and how to validate ourselves and step away from external validation. And one of my favorite things we talk about is how to tend to the belief that we are not good enough and discovering how to live in alignment with our authentic selves. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I am your host, Bridget Burke Brown, and today I am with Nikki Hader. I am so excited that you're here today. I'm really excited for our conversation. I am excited to learn from you. I have followed you for quite some time now. Um, I was always just drawn into your sort of like Zen grounded <laughs> presence. Um, and I just love your your messages. So I'm really happy you're here. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So I always say beauty is how we feel. That's one of our mantras at the Beyond Beauty Project. Mm -hmm. um, I really believe that we'll feel our most beautiful when our physical, 
mental and spiritual health is all aligned and kind of feeling the best it can. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I love about the work you do is I know you have pulled from a few different trainings um, to sort of treat the body, mind, and spirit. So mm-hmm. I would love to just sort of get to know you a little bit more and understand the trainings that you have done, the ones you love, and sort of how you come to supporting us. Sure. Um Yeah, I mean, you're right. I have done a lot of different trainings over the years. And I think my own journey towards, um, you know, being of service to others and and the message that I want to get across um, has really, is really like an accumulation of all of those things. And um, I mean, I started, I actually, when I, like years and years and years ago, when I graduated high school and went into university, I actually used to want to be a doctor um, or a nurse. So that was like what I wanted to do when I was at school. I knew I always wanted to be of service to others. I didn't know how. And then I thought, oh, you know, I'd like to be a naturopath. Um, But at the time, that wasn't like a thing. And there was all these question marks about whether or not I would be able to earn an income from that. So instead, I went into and, and did business and studied human behavior and human resource management. So I guess you could say I had an interest in psychology from like way back then when I was 17. I just saw it at like an organizational level. Um, And I actually worked for a really long time within this wonderful company where we went. um, It was like an outsourced human resource company. So we would go into businesses who are struggling with their people and we would audit their people. So we would like audit their personalities, um, like how they got along, how they interacted, their motivating factors. And we would look at like why there is a mismatch between employees. Um, And it was super, it was super interesting, super cool. Um, But I was really young and I worked super hard and the corporate life kind of burnt me out. And so that was then when I took a whole different trajectory and um, I needed a break. I've always loved cooking as like a hobby. And my girlfriend was working at this restaurant and she said, you know, come and work in the kitchen with me. Like that's where what I'm doing. And I was like, okay. So I went from corporate world to kitchen life. Um, and during that time had my own kind of, I guess, I guess inner issues with regards to like, you know, trying to maintain a healthy lifestyle, but wanting to party, but burning the candle at both ends, but like all of this stuff. And as I was cooking and learning about myself and, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I thought I would revisit health. You know, I was like, this is something that maybe I could combine my love for food with my love for like helping others and my experimentation on myself. So then I enrolled into a second bachelor. And I did my Bachelor of Health Science um, to become a clinical nutritionist. Okay. So when I graduated from that, I actually worked clinically as a nutritionist for like about six or seven years um, and was, you know, treating predominantly women um, in a clinical setting um, who were having mainly like digestive issues. So things like irritable bowel syndrome, um, you know, ulcers, um, digestive problems, skin issues, um, hormonal imbalances, all of that type of stuff. Um, But it was usually due to stress. So there was this really strong interlink between like I'm stressed or I'm anxious and I'm having all these symptoms. And so that was kind of, Yeah, it was really interesting. And I really loved the work I did. Um, Gradually over the years, though, I started attracting not by my wanting to just by chance, um, a lot of women who were suffering with disordered eating, 
um, mm. or with eating disorders. And so whilst it was interesting to work with them and to treat them, I felt really limited in my capacity to do so. I was like, something's missing here. Like I can't mm. help this person with a, you know, a, a dietary plan and supplementation. I can support their body and what they're going through and maybe like how they are not meeting their nutritional requirements or how they may be suffering um, in some way. But I can't get to the core issue because this core issue is not a food issue. It's like a mental issue. Yeah. And so I felt like I'd be like, oh, what do I do here? And so I decided to go back to to study. Um, and then I did my master's in counseling psychology because I was like, I need to have this other piece yeah. to the puzzle. Otherwise, I don't understand how it all works. Um, so cool. So, yeah. So that was kind of like how that led into, into that. And then behind the scenes for my own, you know, my own self and my own practice, um, I also did my yoga teacher training, um, you know, somewhere along all of that, maybe about five or six years ago now. Um, and that has been a huge influence in the way that I teach, um, the way that I practice as a therapist, a lot of my philosophical, I guess, ideals, um, and, you know, a lot of the somatic type work that I do as well. Yeah. Um, so where are we? We've finished that. Um, I was living in Australia this whole time. Basically, when I graduated doing counseling, I moved back home to Bali, which is where I am now um, okay. and where I and where I grew up. So I moved Aww. back here um, and I started working at an addiction rehabilitation clinic. Um, so working with um, addicts who are recovering from drug and alcohol abuse. Um, and that was really fascinating. Um, so I did that for a couple of years and then COVID happened and I started my online practice, you know, working with people all over the world in a therapeutic setting. Um, and then the last little bit of training, I know it's a lot, but it all makes sense so, when you understand the way I work. It's so cool. I love it. I love it. <laughs> the last bit of training that I did was um, I completed it last year, actually, throughout my pregnancy. I embarked on a 240-hour training with Dr. Gabor Mate, who is an expert in trauma and addiction. So I worked uh, in his training program for a year uh, and studied through him and his team, um, which was an wow. incredible uh, addition, I guess, to, to my skill set and really kind of complemented my approach, which is um, what I would call compassion focused therapy. Um, and I integrate a lot of somatic work. So body work, uh, into yeah. that. And, um, yeah, a lot of trauma work as well. So now I work online and I work with women all over the world, um, with like perfectionistic tendencies, addictive tendencies, mm. addiction, eating disorders, um, a lot of self-worth stuff, a lot of yep. stuff around shame. Um, and, and yeah, that's it. It's really cool because, um, my next thing I want to talk about is, so I've heard you say that when it comes to your body, mind and spirit, that one can't run without the other. Mm-hmm. And I just love how you have these like intense training. Like you have the nutritionist that's like physical, you know, you have the yoga, which is all body and mind and spirit, obviously. And I don't know, you mm-hmm. just have like, you have covered all of the trainings, so tell us, yeah. though, tell us what that means for you that like one can't run without the other 
I loved hearing that. I was like, it's so true. They're so connected, you know? Yeah. I, I think there's, you know, what I guess what I've learned over the years is that I, like, I used to see the pipes as separate. So I used to be like, okay, there's like spirituality, which is separate to emotional and mental, you know, rationale or thinking. And then there's like the physical body that suffers physiologically. And so there's yeah. symptoms that the body has and that's separate to the mind and that's separate to the spirit. Um, but the more I have worked, the more I came across like these blocks where I was like, no, there's like, there needs to be another element here because otherwise it's not like full circle. It's not, it's not being, it's like, there's no closure around this thing. There's like an element that needs to be here. Um, and I think a lot of the time, what I, what I notice from working with clients is they are very, it's either in my head or it's in my body and they don't realize that there is this interlink between, you know, what happens to me physically and physiologically impacts the way I feel, which then impacts the way I think. Right. And then what I think and what I believe about myself or the world or whatever impacts my actions and therefore impacts my body. And so like, they're all the same thing and they work Mm -hmm. as one like incredible machine. And then I think you have this element of spirituality or of, um, yeah, spirit, like whatever you want to call it, soul. Um, it's kind of the, it's that wiser, higher version of you that, you know, is connected to everybody else and 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 kind of like gets out of the ego and gets out of like mm. everything being about me and making everything personal and being really like limited in my perspective of life. And it's that ability for us to take a broader perspective, the ability for us to be kind and compassionate to others and ourselves, the ability for us to have faith and hope and like all of these things that I think ultimately at the end of the day help us to override the little Mm. tiny things that we get stuck into. Like I believe if you don't have a Mm. sense of spirituality, it's really hard to practice non-attachment. It's really hard to practice observation of thoughts. It's really hard to practice acceptance. Like some of these things are really difficult practices if we don't have some kind of a sense of a higher self. Yeah. I love that. Out of those like practices you just threw out, what's one you love that you can share with us? With regards to like spiritual practices? Yeah. Like getting, it sounds like all of those were really getting away from our ego, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, I I love, I guess, two things that I practice daily um, would be detachment. Uh, I remember sitting in my yoga teacher training like five or six years ago. And I remember the teacher talking about, you know, this um, concept in in yoga um, called abhyasa and vairagya, meaning determination and dedication to your practice with no attachment to the outcome Mm -hmm. so it means like be on your mat if we're looking at it in a yoga perspective be on your mat and practice and and do your yoga in that sense but don't be attached to the handstand or don't be attached to you know achieving meditation and not having any thoughts just be present with what you're doing and like know that that dedication and that perseverance is like all you need. Oh. And then you can be open to possibility. You're not I love that. something. Yeah. I, I always like, say, um, yeah, I always say like, do your best. That doesn't mean like pushing yourself, but like do your best and like the rest will work out the way it's supposed to. I really yeah. believe that if you're really doing your best, but you're 
really following your spirit, your intuition, whatever you want to call it, God. Um, I think that things happen the way they're supposed to, because we can push things sometimes. I always say like when I'm pushing, I stalt, I like halt. I'm like, okay, you're pushing. This isn't working. Mm-hmm. Like, because you're pushing, you're not just so yeah, I love that. I yeah. love yoga too, by the way. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's this real like, um, yeah, I just, I, it just kind of like blew my mind at the time. And I was like, what do you mean detach from, you know, like, I was like, yeah. so taken aback by the concept that I was like, hang on, I need to like really process this. And it took me years of like, pondering it like I wouldn't say I'm a master at detachment but it's something that I really try to practice because it also it helps me to become responsive rather than reactive Mm -hmm. and it helps me to observe things for what they are so if I can be detached from something I'm not making meaning of it necessarily and I'm not like putting an expectation on it and I'm not like attaching feeling to it or or anything like that and so I'm able to kind of sit back from my life from the situation from the person speaking to me and I'm allowed to be like okay what like what is actually happening right now in the present without my filter Mm -hmm. and then you can respond very differently and you can respond in a way that is more authentic to you and if someone like makes a comment for example that your ego may be hurt by if you're in this seat of just being the observer, you can see that like you can choose to let that hurt you or not. And it can yeah. be true or it can be not. You know what I mean? So yeah. it gives it gives you this amazing ability to be able to just be like, hmm, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna take that. You know, like yeah. and, and also I'm gonna let it annoy me. I'm just gonna keep going. Uh, totally. You can be super annoyed if you're yeah. not being like that. Super annoyed. Yeah. It also puts yeah. you like back in the place of power in a way. Absolutely. Because you're choosing, right? The way you're going to respond. Um, okay, I want to do a deep dive into perfectionism, but what's the yeah. other thing that you practice daily? Oh, the other thing I practice daily would just be like sensory mindfulness. I'm a big Mm -hmm. advocate for just connecting back to the body um, and for making sure that we're not just living in our heads all the time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that could be um, being really present with my cup of coffee, um, making sure that when I take the dog out, you know, in the morning, I don't have any shoes on and, and I make a conscious effort to just connect to what it feels like to have my feet on the earth. Um, it might be to literally stop and smell the roses. Um, you know, it's those little things. I'm just very aware of and try to be really mindful of my sensory experience of life, smells, sights, tastes, sounds, like all of that stuff, because it's such a simple but effective way of um, becoming connected to your body and therefore your nervous system. So being able to regulate yourself is so much greater uh, and easier to do if you have constant access to your body. I love that. How Mm. cool is that? I never heard that really before. I guess I heard (laughs) the when you're having anxiety, like seeing some, like focusing on something, Mm -hmm. what do you smell kind of can snap you out of it? Like, um, what do you feel? But it's almost like a way to go through your days and have like little mini meditations yeah right oh my god yeah but but calming your nervous system down 
Yeah, yeah. And it's just the more you do it, the more familiar it becomes, the easier it is to access, the more acquainted you become with safety. Like it's just a really simple, easy thing that you can do Mm -hmm. all the time. And it gets you back in your body. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's really cool. Um, Okay. I want to do a deep dive into perfectionism. Um, (laughs) I find it super fascinating, but I have a lot to learn about it. So I know there's different types of perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Can we start there for everybody? Sure. Um, So perfectionism can show up in in different ways um, and for different reasons. And from memory, there are three different types of like, I guess, when we're trying to classify perfectionism. Um, There is what we would call other orientated perfectionism, which is when I have unrealistic expectations of other people like everybody else so everyone else is always wrong they're always doing everything wrong I'm always judging everybody else nothing everybody nothing anybody does is ever good enough for me Mm. then of self-orientated perfectionism which is um where I have exceedingly high standards of me and those expectations come from me so like it's all about me and my like desire to be perfect and I'm always criticizing myself and like yeah my expectations come from me they don't come from any other source they're just my own expectations of self okay and then we have socially orientated or socially prescribed perfectionism which is where I feel not good enough because I am under the perception that everybody else is judging me so it's about social so what I would see on social media, what I would look at in my friends, there's a lot of comparison that comes with this kind of type of perfectionism. Um, a lot of assuming that I'm not as good as her. I'm not as pretty as her. Um, if I go to the party and wear this, they will judge me. So it's like more interesting. Yeah. About me. And so my perfectionism comes from the desire to make everybody else happy or to fit in with everybody else. Whereas self-orientated is just like me being really, um, really hard on myself from myself. There's no like real, I'm worried about what other people think. It's just that I must achieve this. Otherwise I am not successful. Wow. So is there like mental sort of diagnoses that go along with these perfectionisms? Like I kind of heard like narcissism in there or martyr like or no I mean um yes and no I mean look I I think with diagnoses you know you could probably attach certain labels to each type if you wanted to or you could explore like their link between um yeah things like narcissism or um people pleasing or anxiety or whatever it might be depression um but also, you know, like I think I think it can be quite not messy, but once we start diagnosing, it can become difficult to 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 see it for what it is. Um, I think yeah. sometimes attaching diagnoses can can pull us away from what we're looking at. So yeah, to speak. and you can label and sort of get stuck in that. And there's probably yeah. such, ra- such ranges too, right? There is, perfectionism can be quite broad or it can be quite specific. So it's really more so like, like a character trait that someone has, which can sometimes even be useful, you know, like low levels of perfectionism is, you know, someone who has, um, 
who's a high achiever and who is really driven and who's really determined. And that's fine. It's it's when it becomes an issue and when it becomes, um, yeah, really difficult and all consuming for that person, that idea, like I'm not good enough when that becomes everything I am and every way that I operate and how I see the world, then that becomes damaging to, who, to, to me. Yeah. 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 Can you have more than one? I'm assuming you can, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You can be all three. You can be more particularly one um, or a couple. I mean, I would say, I think socially orientated, I think from the research, socially orientated perfectionism or socially prescribed perfectionism um, is the most like, quote unquote, like dangerous in the sense that it has the higher risk of being associated with things like anxiety um, and with things like, um, you know, depression and suicidal ideation and like all of these things, because it can become quite like it can become a bit of a, a um, you know, like a, a perfect storm quite quickly because we're so we become so caught up in assumptions and perceptions and made up stories and the mind can very quickly, especially if we have an underlying shame story or we have like underlying relational trauma or complex trauma or things that like drive our not good enoughness, um, then, you know, it's very quickly for that to spiral out of control. Interesting. Yeah. Um, why social media is such a problem you know it it can be such a wonderful tool and it can also be such a problem as well because if someone is in that mindset they can quite easily just like social media becomes um, like a a confirmation of everything that they believe about themselves because all they see is is how they're not that yeah and how other people are doing it or other people are doing it together without them so they must mm-hmm. not like them or yeah mm-hmm. yeah wow yeah. um so this is a good segue into i want to talk about perfectionism with the you know beauty ideal that we have in society the mm-hmm. unrealistic beauty ideal the toxic whatever you want to call it but um since i've started my project i've really have realized that most of us, especially women have a lot of trauma around our body. And, Mm -hmm. and there's a good amount of this trauma. I believe that starts sort of with this unrealistic beauty ideal, whether we're told we need to look a certain way, be a certain way. Um, and we're constantly told, you know, to look better, to look younger, don't age, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just curious your thoughts on why I guess there's so many people suffering from this body image related issues like eating disorder, body dysmorphia, orthorexia. It sounds like it could be this social, socially perceived perfectionism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? And I know that's a big question, but. It, yeah, it, it is a big question. Um, it, it can definitely be from socially prescribed perfectionism as like a later development. Um, what I would, I mean, what I usually see in practice is that there usually has to be some sort of like eating disorders is interesting if we're looking at eating disorders, because eating disorders is very similar, in my opinion, to any other addiction in the sense that 
we're not looking at the food itself, but we're looking at what the behavior towards the food does for us. So for example, if I am someone who is obsessive about counting calories, it's not like maybe my idea as an adult is that like I want to be skinny because being skinny is beautiful and da 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 da. But the actual act of counting calories may actually soothe me and my need to be in control. Mm. Because perhaps when I was younger, I lived in an environment that was chaotic, Mm. right? And so I've developed a habit and association with food whereby always counting my calories and always doing this gives me some kind of sense of comfort. And then it becomes a problem, right? But then I'm also like, as I grow up and as I start comparing myself to others, because I have also a shame story of like, I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm wrong. I'm bad. um, I'm unseen, unheard, misunderstood, like anything, whatever the belief is that is stemmed from possibly the childhood trauma that is there, that then like the brain then tries to find evidence to confirm that that is true. And when we place that in a culture, which is so obsessed with the way that we look and what we have and what beauty products are doing, all of this stuff, then our brain will be like, see, you don't have that thing. That confirms that you're not good enough or you are broken. And so then the belief moves towards it's stronger. Beauty. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm excited to listen to this again, but yes. <laughs> I love so listening like, back because then I like learn it for the second time. Yeah. So it's it's like, you know, it's like an onion, like it has so many layers to it. And we need to understand that, like, why do some people develop an eating disorder or, um, you know, this obsession with food or lack thereof or, you know, start binging and purging? Like, why, why do some people do that and some people not, you know? So it's yeah, usually that that's it's true. Soothing, it's a soothing mechanism first or it's a coping mechanism first because of something else that they're trying to like avoid, deny, control, soothe, um, find relief from like, just, it's really similar in that, in that sense to um, if I had a vice of like alcohol or um, another type of drug or whatever it might be, like, what is it that I'm trying to fulfill within myself through this behavior? Yeah. And then we have culture, like I said before, and we have like society and we have all these messages that then make the belief that I've developed as a child even bigger, even stronger, because mm-hmm. there is so much confirmation that I am I am in fact not good enough. Like I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have the right beauty products. I don't have enough money. I'm not this. I'm not that. And so all of this adds and adds and adds. And then the eating disorder or the addictive behavior gets worse and worse and worse because I'm feeling more and more and more out of control that I need to do it more and more and more. You know, like, so it's like this whole cycle. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you're pretty passionate about, like, I would assume you're pretty passionate about, like, who you're following on social media and who's sort of, like, getting into your mind because we can either feed these beliefs or kind of quiet them down. It's also, like, probably your circle of who you're hanging out with, right? Yeah, all of that, all of that. I think it's so important to curate um, your experience of life, you know, through like consciously and and to be able to yeah filter who you follow and be mindful of who you follow and mute or unfollow people that do make you feel like, oh, like 
I'm not, you know, that is fueling a belief that I'm not enough or that is making me feel really, you know, not good about myself or, or whatever it might be. Um, and to be mindful. And, you know, I think the issue is that a lot of people are actually unconscious of the yeah. beliefs that drive them. And so mm-hmm. they don't realize how their circle of friends or how their social media feed or how these things are actually perpetuating beliefs that are not true but that have been with them forever. Like it just feels so familiar to have these thoughts and beliefs about ourselves because those thoughts and beliefs were developed at such an early age. And also they have the purpose of keeping us safe, as weird as that sounds. It's like if I grew up in a chaotic family or an abusive family or whatever it might be, like it's in my best interest to develop the belief that I'm not good enough so I remain small and therefore safe, for example. Yes, totally. I definitely have had that one. Yeah. So it's like, it's really hard as adults to shift that belief because ultimately what we're saying to our nervous system is like, go be unsafe now. Yeah. And it's like, this is something that I've had for a really long time. This is how I stay safe. And it's no longer true. It's no longer relevant, but it's really hard for us to let go of. That's why this work and the work of eating disorders and addiction, and that's like years and years of work. It's not a you know? No, yeah. You might have sort of answered this already, but can you re-answer why perfectionism mm-hmm. is connected with eating disorders and addictions? Why? Um, yeah. Because, yeah, b- because basically it's this inherent belief, belief that I'm not good enough. So I would say that at the mm. root of addiction in most instances is shame, right? So I have pain within me or a feeling within me that I'm not good enough as I am for some reason. That causes me to feel discomfort, anxiety, depression, um, anger, like whatever it is. And and it's this belief that I've had for a long time. Um, And so I don't know how to deal with this feeling that I have. And so I find something to help me either forget about it, help me stay in control, help me soothe or whatever it might Um, be. Yeah, numb, exactly. So therefore, I go to whatever my vice will be, whether that be gambling, sex, drugs, alcohol, shopping, exercise, food, like whatever it is, mm. bearing in mind that an addiction is something that becomes um, becomes dangerous to myself or others, and I can't, I can't stop it. So I it, can't it, stop it's, it. Yeah, I can't stop it, even though I know that it's actually um, destructive to myself or other people. That's how we would define when a habit, so orthorexia, for example, a good intention, something that I'm doing for the right purposes has gotten out of control. Yeah, absolutely. And and then it's like this feeling of it's, it's the attachment to the behavior, like what it's giving me, as well as the the idea that maybe this will make me good enough maybe this will make mm. me perfect in some way whatever my yeah. idea is yeah that makes that made a lot of sense that's okay. really interesting thank you that's okay um do you think that there is like an increase in depression or anxiety problems because of the social media would you yeah. say yeah, I would say so. I mean, I would be, I, I don't know the statistics, I'd have to look them up, but I'd be surprised if it wasn't, you know, I think there is 
a, a movement in on social media nowadays, which is which is wonderful towards um you know, showing up more authentically um, yeah. and through showing like, you know, other aspects of people's lives and like, you know, the real side of things, which I think is wonderful. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Especially amongst the youth, you know, I remember when I used to do, I used to do a lot of talks for um, adolescents, like adolescent girls um, when I lived in Australia around like body image and shame and um perfectionism and and eating and what have you and these are like girls who are you know between the age of 14 and 16 um and you know 80 percent of the room would put up their hands saying they've been on a diet or they hate their bodies or whatever and when you ask them where that comes from the majority of that is from comparison and from social media it's not really from the observation of a parent who's dieting or someone saying that they're fat although that is like one source um, the majority of the girls in the room would often say, well, it's because of what they see online. And wow. and the sad thing is, is that you have like, you know, a 14-year-old, for example, comparing her body to a 25-year-old. And it's like their body hasn't even fully developed yeah. yet. And, and they still have so much, so much to go. And, and their hormones are still, you know, finding their place. And they haven't, they've just entered puberty and like all of these things. They're it, you can't compare a 14-year-old body to a 25-year-old's body. It's completely different. And that's what they're doing. So that's where it becomes really dangerous at a young age. And what do you tell them to help them? Do you, do you try to educate them on where their body is and where it's supposed to be? Yeah. I mean, I think education um, is a really, really big part of healing, Um I really believe that when people have the information that they require, things can make a lot more sense. And so educating um, on their body, educating on where they're at, educating on the impact of social media, um, you know, and then helping with, you know, self-compassion practices, um, encouraging conversation amongst friends, you know, like all of these things. I think it's important that it's a conversation that is spoken about, that is supported, that is acknowledged, um, mm-hmm. that is understood so that it's not, you know, shame grows in secrecy. So I think it's really important that if we encourage our children to be open with us, to be open with each other about the way that they're feeling um, mm-hmm. and the questions they're having around their body, then it kind of puts a bit of a break in the, in the shame story because we're allowing it to have a voice and therefore wow. we're allowing something to be done about it and therefore we're making it normal and therefore not so scary because you know my friend might be like don't worry I feel like that too sometimes and then that makes me feel better about the fact that I have these thoughts and feelings and I'm not so alone in it I love Mm. that shame grows in secrecy wow yeah it's so true you said something earlier about shame to being like the the base of something the base of You're addiction. In, yeah. The base of addiction. So shame is the base of addiction. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, if you're that's shoving like, it down, down, down. And yeah. And then, talk the, about it. yeah and, and then the bigger it gets and the more we hide it, the uh, more pain we feel. And the more pain we feel, the more addicted we become. Oh, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I want to go into a little bit of, you know, the solution. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to definitely dive into like the whole authentic self because I have a lot I want to pick your brain on with that. But before we do that, um, 
What are some maybe simple ways that you could start healing from perfectionism? Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. probably also a very big question, but. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Healing from perfectionism, I think because we have like this idea of I'm not good enough and therefore I need to be better in some aspect of my life. You know, that is shame in essence. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think talking about it is hugely relieving and hugely comforting for a lot of people. Um, Perfectionism can feel quite lonely. So when we do speak about it and when we speak to each other about it, there can be this sense of like togetherness. And when there's a sense of togetherness, there's a sense of like healing, there's a sense of normalcy, there's a sense of acceptance, um, and there's more possibility of being able to heal and move forward. Um, so I would encourage, um, you know, if anyone is feeling this way to, you know, open up to someone you trust about the way that you feel and just see how speaking about it and putting emotions to it and an experience of it can can help you find relief. Um, like on that, that note, um, a lot of you know, as we've explored, a lot of it comes from unhelpful beliefs in adulthood, which once served a purpose in childhood. So with that, with that said, I would explore working with a therapist, you know, I would, I would look Mm -hmm. for someone who um, can support you, a professional who is trained in trauma, who is trained um, in, in in addiction and who has experience um, and can help you to just become familiar and conscious of this of these subconscious thoughts that are driving your day-to-day life because even that awareness you can be like ah there's that thought or there's that belief that I didn't realize was there now I have the opportunity to shift it or to not respond to it or whatever mm-hmm. it might be like I can actually see it now I recognize it rather than it just being an inherent part of me that I don't know about um Then we have like, you know, the practical side of things, maybe getting more into the body, realizing that the body serves much more of a purpose than just being skinny or whatever it might be. I mean, for me personally, um, a huge shift for for me was, was becoming pregnant, you know, like when I saw and understood that and, and the way that my body could create life and you know, like all you just are like, whoa, like I have yeah. no, I had no issues around my body um, postpartum. I was just like, you do what you need to do and recover however long you need because you are seriously incredible. Like I cannot yeah. get over how amazing this is that I just did that. Oh, um, I love it. Yeah. So like that for me was a big thing, but you know, you don't have to, you know, obviously have a baby to have that, to have that understanding. It's really being um, aware of and present of the function of your body. Like your your body is designed, um, you know, to keep you alive and safe. And it's an incredible machine, you know, and if you really understood what it does for you every day and like all the things it does without you realizing, you can really kind of bow down and honor it in such a different way than you would um, just on, on aesthetic. So there's there's that element um, as well. And then there's a lot of compassion focused work, which is, um, you know, really meeting ourselves with self-compassion, which is validating the way that we feel and understanding where it comes from and offering us that level of like, I see you, I hear you, I feel you. And also here's another perspective. Yeah. So it's another way. Yeah. And comforting that part of us, which is wounded, which is scared or which feels not good enough and also lovingly supporting it t- to move in another direction, like as, you know, as a parent would or something like that towards a yeah. child. Because usually the part that doesn't feel good enough 
is a really young part of us. So it usually is like a childlike part of us. So responding to ourselves in that way um, can also be hugely relieving and comforting. And that's sort of the inner child work that people are doing and talking about. Um, I heard you say that therapy should be a safe place to get to know you. And Mm -hmm. I loved how you worded it like that because it is, I've done therapy forever. I like love therapy since I was like (laughs) mid twenties, um, big advocate of it, but it is, it's this place, like this safe place. If you can find the right person to work with where you really learn about you without all the external pressures from family, society, Yeah, it's fascinating. You know, you're becoming acquainted with yourself and it's like, it's super cool. Yep. Um, Okay, let's move into authentic selves because I think there's a lot we can talk about there. Um, How do we start validating ourselves instead of feeling like this deep need to be validated from external things, Mm -hmm. like our parents, our peers, society, the beauty ideal? How do we start to step away from those things and give ourselves validation to feel like our authentic selves? Um, I, I think like when, when we're on this journey of discovering our authenticity, I, you know, I do think it's really important to understand, like to do the work of, of understanding, like what are my values mm. and like, what do I stand for? Like what gives me a sense of meaning what gives me a sense of purpose what brings me joy what gives me a sense of peace because if we don't have that information then we don't really know like how to guide ourselves if that makes sense and and so I really think that that's an important piece that many people don't do they kind of go like okay I'm trying to figure out who my authentic self is but then they have no blueprint they have nothing that's like guiding them um totally So do the work of getting to know, like, what do you stand for? Um, What's important to you? Like, if we're looking at, say, relationships, what do you value? And it's not just surface level stuff. It's like, how do you value communication within a relationship? Like, how do you want to be as a communicator within a relationship? What's important to you? And once you have this information and you know that that's what makes you feel aligned and you know that that is what gives you a sense of meaning and purpose, then you can start living life in a way that like confirms or is in, in, so, you know, in alignment with those things. So say someone asks you something or you're choosing to do something or you're in a relationship and something's happening, you have this ability to check in with yourself and be like, is this in alignment with who I am or is it not? And if you have that information, you can check quite quickly and be like, you know what? No, this doesn't sit right with me because I do value this type of communication and that's not happening. And therefore, I'm going to have a conversation about it. So you yeah. have like something to base yourself off. Um, and also like doing that exercise helps you to reconnect to, you know, I believe our authentic self is is really in essence who we were before we became conditioned, you know, like. It's like, who who were you? Once again, looking at maybe the childlike version of you, um, what parts of you did you suppress or deny or avoid or control because you had to? Yeah. And like how much did those parts of you still want to like come to the surface now? And how can we, um, you know, compassionately encourage them to feel safe yeah. enough to come back up again? 
Mm-hmm. That's why the the therapy work is so useful, helpful. Yeah, to yes. just feel just to feel our best too, body, mind, yeah. and spirit. You know, yeah. do you feel like yeah. when we're feeling our best body, mind, and spirit, that's when we are feeling our most authentic? Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. I often ask clients, like, when's the last time you really felt, you know, like in flow or a sense of a sense of meaning, you know, like I really believe that purpose is not about what we do, but it's about who we are. And a lot of people who feel purposeful in life are those who are living life in alignment with who they are, with, with their authenticity. And it just feels like, yeah, things, you know, like I'm more resilient. I'm more open to change. I'm more accepting of things that may be difficult. I'm able to, you know, have a healthy stress response. I experience joy. Like, you know, all of these things, I'm more at peace ultimately is yeah. is what, what it comes down to. Um, so totally. yeah. More at peace sounds amazing. Yeah. Right. Just to feel yeah. that. Um, okay. So we're going to finish up. Um, Mm -hmm. I, do you want to share anything just about your, like what you're working on or I know you had a couple programs, but you're now kind of focusing more on writing. And so tell, just tell us about some of that stuff. Sure. Um, so I do one-on-one therapy. So I work one-on-one, um, it's all done online. So I work with women from all over the world. Um, so that's one option of, of how I kind of, you know, show up. I, I did get rid of, um, a lot of my online self-paced stuff. I don't know why I just had this like feeling last year that I didn't want to have them anymore. And I wanted to offer more free content to help people. So like this year, I'm really focusing on like building a YouTube channel that has, you know, like somatic based practices for stress and anxiety that has like vagal toning yoga practices that has, you know, snippets of information around some of the subjects that we're talking about today. Um, I have meditations that I upload onto Insight Timer that are free. And I'll probably be doing some short like paid courses through there as well around emotional regulation and awareness. Um, I also run a program, a group program twice a year for space holders. So for like coaches, yoga teachers, healthcare workers, anyone who works with humans on their emotional landscape, I run a program called Attunement Academy, which is a six month trauma informed, compassion focused way of teaching space holders how to have a safe and ethical practice and how to confidently work with clients who um, are showing big emotions during session, because I don't believe that it's limited to therapy. Um, you know, I, I, as a yoga teacher, I've seen so many people break down in tears in Shavasana, for example, yeah, or, yeah. you know, I know that working as a nutritionist, um, when someone's sharing why they're stressed and they share something about their childhood trauma, like I really believe that the healing space is, it, 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 like, Everybody needs to be trained in a way that they can confidently and safely guide someone through these conversations and then know when it's outside of their scope and know when to refer on, but also have like tools in their toolbox to give them the ability to safely guide someone through what they're experiencing. So Attunement Academy is a training program that I have for coaches and healthcare people. And, and so that's been um, the first round ran this year and it's been hugely successful. Um, oh, cool. 
Yeah, I really love it. The first part of the program is also all about like our own healing and our own wounds and our own trauma and how that shows up as a space holder. So like, what are you bringing into your client session that is not supposed to be there? Or how are you having like a bias or a judgment with them? So we do like a lot of internal work first, and then we do the external information, education and training after that. So cool. Um, I'm actually really interested in that program. I've already looked at it. Yeah. Oh, I think you would. Yeah, I think you would love it. I think you would love it. Like the it's yeah, the feedback has been amazing. And I'm really excited to share some of the testimonials from this cohort because it's been really transformative for them. Um, so that's really cool. And then lastly, I'm writing a book. It's in the process of being published. So maybe it will come out in a few months from this podcast recording. And it's actually called How to Be Good Enough. So it's all Aww. about the topic that we're talking on. So it's all about perfectionism. And, um, you know, tending to this idea or this belief that we all have, by the way, that I'm not not good enough in some way. It's a it's a common, you know, shared human experience that I think we need to normalize um, in order to move forward from it. So the book is a really simple four step approach to like, how do I understand this? Where does it come from? What can I do? And like, you know, where do I go from here? Basically. So cool. Cannot wait to read it. Awesome. Good for you. Okay. Before we say goodbye, I'm going to ask you two questions. I ask every guest. The first Mm -hmm. one is how would you define beauty? How would I define beauty? I think I would define beauty as not, to me, it's, it's not, it actually has nothing to do with the physical. You know, for me, beauty is all about who someone, like who someone is, you know, I I just think like, I mean, I think all of us are beautiful and I think all of us have so much beauty to show. It's it's just such a different, like my definition of it, it's hard to put into words, but it's not what it is to the average person. Like I feel that someone is beautiful on so many levels, you know, it's like their essence is beautiful. It's not their, yeah, it's not their physical. Yeah, you know, I believe we all have beauty inside of us too. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like, oh yeah, and you know when you mm-hmm. like you have a girlfriend and she's like talking or sharing a story or like saying something quirky and you have this moment of like, oh my god, I just love you so much. You're just so beautiful, and yeah. it's not to do with how she's looking or what she's wearing. It's to do with like her showing up as her and being so her in that moment. Like that's how I would define beauty and being authentic. Yeah, it's that, right? it's, that, it's that authenticity that you're yeah. just like, oh, I'm just going to squeeze you. And like, I love you so much. Because you're just, you know? Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Um, okay, last question. If you could go back and tell your younger self one piece of advice, what would you tell her? Probably to trust more. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, to trust, like just to trust, to trust in myself and my capabilities and to mm-hmm. trust in things to work out the way that they should. You know, you were talking very like earlier on about this feeling of like forcing and pushing and resisting and like all of this. And and that was very much a part of my character when I was younger and still sometimes shows up now. Um, And a big lesson for me over the years has been like, Nikki, just trust that like, this is the way it's supposed to be. Like just trust that you are doing everything within your ability to show up the way that you can with what you know and what you're doing and who you are like trust that that's going to get you to the right place rather than forcing things to happen um 
so yeah trust surrender this idea of letting go Uh it's been a huge like practice of mine the older I get is to be able to be more passive more receptive more open um to not being so in control and yeah that would be something that I would say to her like just experiment with going with it experiment with rolling with it be open to the possibilities you know yeah we don't have to know all the answers because sometimes they aren't the answers we're supposed to have exactly and I feel like we can change the course of how things were supposed to work out yeah I love that thank you so much for being here um tell everybody where they can find you Sure. So my business uh, name is State of Soul. So that is website is stateofsoul.co. Instagram is State of Soul with an underscore at the end. Um, When the book comes out, I mean, I will I will let people know. Um, But otherwise, yeah, everything can be found. You know, I think Insight Timer, it's just Nikki Hader. YouTube, it will be State of Soul. Um, So, yeah, look up either me or the company name and you will be able to find all the different things that I do. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bridget. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining another Beyond Beauty Project conversation. Let's continue to support each other with kindness, empowered voices, and self-love. Visit us at www.beyondbeautyproject.com where you can find all of our socials. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And listen, Bridget would love to hear from you. Don't be shy. So send us a DM or an email with your thoughts and what you want to hear about. See you beauties next time. This podcast episode is designed to be for informational and discussion purposes only. I am not a doctor and I'm not trained as a medical provider or counselor. I do not provide medical care or attempt to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any physical ailment or any mental or emotional issue, disease, or condition on this podcast. Always seek the advice of your own physician or other qualified healthcare providers with any questions you may have regarding your personal medical condition. Do not disregard recommended medical advice or treatment or delay in seeking professional medical advice because of information or content obtained from this podcast. If you have or suspect that you have a medical or mental health issue, please contact your own health care provider promptly. For urgent medical needs, please contact your health care provider or call 911 immediately.